always try to cause our own unique form of scandal. Welcome to Hand of Pop. and girls, welcome to the internet's finest Argentine football podcast. I'm Sam Kelly and this week I'm joined by Andres. Hello Sam. And my English down. Hello and welcome to another Hand of Pod. What's this scandal you're talking about, Sam? Well, we've, we've got a couple of scandals to uh, report this week. Ah, but not scandals involving any of us. The main scandal involving Hand of Pod is that we continue to be so popular after 258 episodes. Yeah. Nobody appears to have noticed that we're not really that good. But anyway... There's a few. A number of scandals, I think, have gone down since Ozzy Dan got out of the country. Indeed. That definitely helps. I think he's talking about the Macherano injury. That, that is a scandal because it's uh, the first down uh, for San Paoli's uh, call up. And we've got. And in fact. Federico Faso. Indeed, we have. Uh, so, speaking of, of Ozzy Dan, scandals. I'm sure that he'll be very. Uh, pleased indeed to hear that Federico Fascio is coming in to replace Mascherano mm-hmm. because of course he's a former Federal Federal boy sort of. before we get underway with the podcast itself I'm going to give us a plug for a friend uh, before we start um, one of my friends Ian Plenderleith has written a book he's, mm. well, he's written several books in fact um, if you've read one of them before then um, Rock and Roll Soccer is possibly the most likely one uh, which is a history of, uh, or a history, or, or some histories of um, football in North America. Um, Ian is now back in Europe, and he has written a book called The Quiet Fan, which is being published, if it gets funding, by Unbound, who have um, a very interesting-looking model. It's sort of 18th-century style, publishing by subscription. Um, mm. I finally got around about a month later than I promised to, uh, to pledging, um, to support it myself last night and so I thought I'd give him a shout out here uh, you can find the details at unbound.com slash books slash the hyphen quiet hyphen fan um, and yeah the idea is that once he actually uh, once the book reaches 100% funding the publishers put it out mm. it, it gets uh, beautifully bound and published I think in hardback by unbound and then at the same time Penguin Random House will be publishing a paperback as well um, so it's the kind of thing that a lot of hand of pod listers might be into. It, it's about sort of uh, the, well, as the title suggests, the, the, the more quiet and less obsessive and less sort of Premier League era um, of football fandom. This idea that, that modern sponsors and whatnot have of, of everybody having to be an obsessive who celebrates their goals by jumping up and down on the sofa whilst watching on TV. And, you know, we're not all like that. So the kind of fans that went down to play the pools, you know, we're talking about that kind of era. Precisely, yeah. yeah. And, and it's uh, told through, each chapter is one match that, that Ian's actually sort of attended uh, during his life and they were all important to him for different reasons and so it's a different sort of chapter on each game. It's, it's based more on fans' point of view, right? Precisely. Ah, yeah. okay. Because I, I, I recall, the, for example, the Iceland squad uh, celebrating the goals, like fishing, like the fishes that are... Uh, well, yes, fishing, 
Mm. And uh, now there's a Kachif pass, for example, team in the Copa Argentina going out, jumping out to the stadium with the to the pitch with the masks. Mm. Uh, but if it's based on the fans, it would be another, of course, perspective. Absolutely. So yeah, please uh, go and um, support that if you can. Uh, you can pledge from as little as ten pounds upwards. So it's not going to sort of necessarily break the bank if you want to. You can pledge a lot more than that. Anyway. Let's get moving on now and give you the results from last weekend in the Argentine Premier League. They were as follows. Aldo Civi got a nil-nil draw at home to Independiente on Friday night. Uh, Colón versus Gimnasia La Plata finished 2-1 to Gimnasia. Banfield beat Tempele 3-1 to keep up their good recent run of four. Newell's Old Boys got a 3-2 win at home to Olimpo. That was um, slightly less sort of rip-roaring than it sounded. The, first, the end of the first half was more interesting than anything with... Uh, sorry, the, the period of the side of half-time um, with the Newells going 1-0 up and then Olimpo equalising in the first minute of the second half. Uh, but after that, Newells were a little more comfortable than 3-2 actually makes it sound. Huracan drew 1-1 with Boca Juniors in Parque Patricios. That's um, one of the scandals that we'll be talking about shortly. San Martín de San Juan got a 4-2 win over Sarmiento in what sounds like a much more entertaining game, uh, but was played at exactly the same time as Oracan Boca, so I have to admit I didn't watch any of it. Racing got a 2-1 win at home to San Lorenzo, hence why Dan is uh, still here now. Was yeah, three defeats in a row and I was going to resign from Man Applied. <laughs> it was just getting ridiculous. Indeed. Defensa Justicia beat Tigre 1-0 in Florencio Barrela. Arsenal lost in Sarandí to Lanús thanks to two goals, two late goals from Herman Denis. Tacheres got a 2-1 win over Atletico Tucumán, who fielded a weakened team in one of the other scandals of the weekend, and we'll be addressing why that was shortly as well. River Plate drew 0-0 with Rosario Central. And if you were paying attention to Boca's score earlier, you might know what that means, if you can remember your Argentine league table. Atlético de Rafaela 1, Belgrano de Córdoba 2, Patronato de Paraná 0, Godoy Cruz 3, Estudiantes de la Plata 2, Unión de Santa Fe 0, and Vélez Sarsfield 0, Quilmes 0, sort out the round. Um, so we're going to get going with um, the main talking point of the weekend, which for some reason <laughs> was the penalty that was awarded to Huracán to give them a 95th minute equaliser at home to Boca Juniors. I'd just like to point out before we get started, this time last week on the pod, all you two guys laughed at me for saying Huracán was a potential banana skin for Boca. You said they were going to take Huracán yeah. to pieces and I feel vindicated. So oh, I don't know if I'd take them to pieces, but we were both very confident mm. that Boca would be winning that match, yeah. I saw the I saw the banana skin. Indeed, so. you did. Credit to you down for it. Um, Occasionally, you know. Uh, a stop clock right twice a day, you know what they say. Indeed, we all know how that feels. Um, so, yeah, Boca were 1-0 were up through a 75th minute golasso from Dario Benedetto. It was a lead that they, they didn't particularly deserve. Well, they sort but of they just slogged it. and slogged away until yeah. until getting it, right? But they had it. it. It was a goal from another game, as one of my favourite uh, Argentine football sayings has it. Um, and in the final minute of stoppage time, um, Boca's goalkeeper, who is called... Agustin Rossi. Rossi, thank you. So I want to say Ivan Rossi for some reason. Uh, bundled over Daniel Montenegro in the penalty box. And... Uh, Argentina, or at least the roughly one third of Argentina that uh, supports Boca, um, were up in arms. That they were <coughs> everybody um, mm-hmm. 
absolutely adamant that this was not a penalty in a million years. Well, they're, um, even calling, they're even calling the police and reporting a robbery. They were, indeed, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> one particularly silly one fan, at least. dickhead did do that. <laughs> um, and, uh, well, okay, Andres and I obviously both feel it was a penalty. We're, we're River supporters, and Dan hadn't seen it until just now. So before we started recording, I actually asked Dan to have a look at it mm. so that he could give us a more neutral view of it. And, Dan, what was your view of it? Was it controversial? No, it's a penalty. It's you know it's not a red card. It's not malicious or anything like that. It's clumsy from Rossi. We should clarify that he wasn't showing a red card. So, no. Yeah. Uh, but it's a penalty. Yeah. I mean, uh, Rolfi Montenegro, Montenegro takes down the ball. It's probably going out of play, but that doesn't matter. I don't think um, in in the rule book. You know, if a player knocks it past you and you take him out, it doesn't matter if it was going in the net. Uh, in the field or out of play if you take him out on the field it's uh, it's a foul right it's a typical play in which uh, if Montenegro doesn't fall uh, perhaps the penalty isn't awarded and he feels mm. that Rossi touches him and he of course falls uh, yeah I mean it's enough contact definitely to to warrant a penalty I can't see why it's particularly controversial no. because of apart the from the fact as Sam and I think Andres said before recording that it's Boca it's the title race and it's, and it's uh, the moment of the match in which yeah. the penalty is awarded because exactly. if it had been awarded the, in the 15th minute of the first half perhaps there right. is no data polemic <coughs> it, it was the last play of the match after the penalty was uh, scored by, by Romero Gamarra the, the match finished that's why mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, Boca fans f- think they, they were robbed indeed it, it also in a funny way, it kind of helps Guillermo Barrasekelotto, or it would help Guillermo Barrasekelotto if it looked at all likely that Guillermo Barrasekelotto would still be Boca manager next season. Mm. Like, if, if that was sort of on a knife edge, where it, as, it, as it is, it seems you know fairly likely that he's going to get an offer from MLS or, or somewhere else and, and, and be off because he can't be bothered at Boca anymore. But, uh, you know, if, if there was that sort of, I guess, Arsene Wenger style sort of, oh, is he going to stay or is he going to go? Will he get a contract extension or not? This, this arguably might have helped him in those uh, terms because it took a lot of attention away from what was really a very poor performance mm-hmm. from Boca a week after a pretty impressive showing against Newell's um, in La Bombonera mm-hmm. where the midfield looked a lot more balanced as we said last week uh, this week it was it was chaotic Wil- Wilmer Barrios again he did play didn't he before I yeah. praise him for being yeah he told Romero he, looked like he, was doing anything. Yeah, he, he told Romero Gamarra to, to miss his penalty oh did he? Andres uh, told me. Yes, yes. Just he, as we were coming. He, he, asked him. he whispered it to go, go on, you guys aren't playing for anything, just knock it wide. Not like, would I kind of got any problems with uh, with relegation or anything like that. Just knock it wide, son. Indeed. Luckily, he didn't, he didn't pay him too much attention. Quite. Um, and yeah, it was a generally sort of pretty lackadaisical um, performance from Boca. It opened the door, of course, for River Plate to go. Well, they could have been uh, tomorrow evening, Wednesday evening, we're recording earlier this week, um, they could have been going top of the league if they had managed to beat Rosario Central the following day on Sunday. Um, Strange result, that. I mean, for the two arguably form sides in yeah. in Primera, you know, with loads of goals to draw on the Yeah, that's the thing. I, I don't know about the result. I mean, the draw was you know reasonable yeah. no uh, I'm saying the lack of goals foreseeable but yeah exactly the the uh, the lack of goals on both sides I, I suppose I mean neither of them are too bad uh, in defence either uh, but yeah it, it's interesting that with 
possibly the two most informed, I don't want to say two best, but, but certainly the two most informed strike force, actually Rivers probably is the best, isn't it, um, in Argentina at the moment. Um, yeah, that, that, that they can't produce any goals. It was an interesting game, though. I thought Central were very comfortably on top in the first <coughs> half, um, where River really was struggling. Central pressed very high up, especially in the first 20 minutes. Um, and then thereafter, sort of after the break, River improved a lot. And so it was really kind of one half for each team. Would that be fair to say, do you think? Yes, it, I think it was a mental game. And the result, of course, fits perfectly what happened in the match. Uh, because uh, both teams blocked, blocked each other. And, and that was what made, uh, what produced perhaps uh, so few opportunities to score. I, I, I recall Alario to, to just perhaps the only clear chance that he, yeah. he built himself and uh, Diego Rodriguez uh, put to the corner. Then... Dreese hit the post quite early in the yes. second half, but that was from about 20 sure, yards I'm out. Sure, yes. Sort of a half chance rather than a, a clear-cut uh, opportunity. Then Rosario Central had, had one with uh, uh, Marco Ruben in the small box with the header. Hmm. Uh, which it was a, perhaps one of the few plays that Central could get into the box and, and have a real, real chance. Hmm. Uh, and then it, there was a polemic offside that was awarded to Camacho, the Uruguayan, former Racing, that wasn't, and the, I don't remember the name of the lineman that flagged for offside, but it wasn't, and it was a clear because he was just into the box and mm. uh, he, he, the, the, the lineman didn't let him go. Uh, so it was, I think, mental, very, very thought, very thinking game, very... Uh, trying to block the other, and River was particularly blocked they, themselves. Their players were with no the freshness and the creativeness that were showing the past matches, especially especially well Rojas, mm. Nacho Fernandez, and Piti Martinez. Um, and how's the result going to weigh on them now for this massive game in on Wednesday in Tucumán? Indeed, um, it does mean, of course, that River and indeed Central's uh, recent uh, unbeaten records. Remain in the league, of course. Rivers reserves, well, mixed river team really lost um, nice. against Dim last week in the Copa Libertadores. Man in a match fan and Dim Viola, who we mentioned on the last pod. Yes, we did. He was giving quite right. It was very good, yeah. Um, which was Rivers' first, well, sorry, second uh, defeat in a competitive match uh, of 2017. The first one having been the Super Copa, of course, back in February. So, depending on how, how much you value the Super Copa, but people down here say it's competitive, so it's competitive. Um, that prevented him from uh, River to be the top leaders of the general positions. In the yeah, they've seeded third or fourth now, aren't Yeah, they? fourth. Atletico Mineiro, Lanús, and I remember the third one. River Gremio? is fourth. Is it Gremio? Could be, yes, very good. Yeah. Wait, wasn't yeah, it that there weren't any seedings this year? What's going on? <laughs> no, they, that, that will, for example, if River has to play against Mineiro, Gremio, or Lanús, they should... Uh, They'll the second, the second leg will, will, will be played at, at the others. So the, the seedings will be used to decide who gets to define the, right. uh, the at time. any stage uh, of the competition. Yes. Yeah. They'll be doing. What, by the way, last week uh, for the, in, in our brief Libertadores chat, I said there was going to be a draw for the last sixteen and then another draw for the semi, the quarters of the semis. Uh, I got that slightly wrong. They're actually going to draw the whole of the knockout round. The whole tree. on the tenth of June, I think it is. Um, it means that Rivers League. Uh, form in their last 12 matches now is 9 uh, wins and 3 draws but as Dan says the big question is how it's going to affect River 
ahead of Wednesday evening's match against Atletico Tucumán, which is their game in hand. Um, that's the other sort of slightly controversial thing that I mentioned when we were going down the scores earlier, because Atletico Tucumán lost away to Tacheres, fielding a weakened side, which a number of Atletico Tucumán fans were quite upset by, and which manager Pablo Lavalin or Lavashin? Lavashin. Lavashin said um, afterwards, he, he made the point that with two games in sort of relatively quick succession, if, if he played the starters against Tacheres, he was going to have to play the reserves against River on Wednesday. Well, plus the starters also, also happens, went to Brazil and played in the uh, Precisely, yeah. And if that, so if, if that had happened, if, if he'd had to play the reserves against River, um, he would have had, well, he would have had Boca and, and their fan base to deal with, mm. uh, given the situation in the league at the moment with, with um, at the top of the table. And so he decided to, you know, to, to play the subs against Tacheres so that he can play the starts against River. This is uh, also <coughs> the contest it, during the weekend, um, or possibly on Monday, actually, I can't remember. Lavashen said uh, that he is a, a lifelong River fan and he, you know, he'd like to see River win the league. But obviously he's also a professional and, and will be sending out the team to, to, to try and beat them on Wednesday mm-hmm. night, um, which for some reason caused a lot of people to be very upset with him as well because this is Argentina and you're not allowed to... No, you have to pretend you don't support a team in the country where everyone, even people that don't have any interest in football, support a team. Mm. Uh, He said he received a phone call or a menace from a supporter saying... Yeah, he's had threats saying... Yeah, all sorts of things. Um, It's very ridiculous. Um, But yeah, anyway, so that's um, the, the sort of talking point as you say Dan is how is it going to affect River I suspect um, that it's going to focus their minds you know if they win this game then they're still one point behind Boca um, with neither side uh, have got a, a particularly easy run and I think Rivers what we say a few weeks Rivers looks Boca's, on Boca's is a bit easier right slightly harder yeah because uh, after Atletico Tucumán uh, River will be away to San Lorenzo at the weekend and then after the international break they've got a home game against Racing and then they finish off at home to Aldo Civi and away to Colón whereas Boca of course only have four games left and they are well, I won't put tell to those uh, Boca's are next at home against Independiente which is the tricky one uh, given Independiente's current form and then away to Aldo Civi away to Olimpo and at home to Union so it, it is trickier for River than it is for Boca um, but both have got one fixture at least uh, which could still be a slip up um, well Union had last night a terrible bad luck against Estudiantes with really? very several several plays that were clear of the line mm-hmm. uh, especially from Aguirre Garay Aguirre Garay who scored both goals for Estudiantes yeah. and then saved two goals oh, well. in defence so it's nailed on man of the match then yes, and he scored I think six goals which is the most amount of goals in his for career defender. for a season yeah. mm-hmm. it's yes, tremendous well, for defenders especially Uruguayan isn't it yes. yes don't know where I remember that from um, football managers I'm sure no I'm not. must be it won't be that I don't think I've managed in Argentina during his career uh, in real life career that is um, <laughs> plus I haven't played it at all for about a year uh, what were we going to say next yeah so River I think should be focused on Wednesday night of course the way to Atletico Tucumán isn't an easy fixture anyway um, well we know they sorry. have been a bit distracted by the Libertadores but that's now over sorry yes. the rest gone now that what we know about tomorrow's match is that 
tonight's match, no, last night, tomorrow night's match is that uh, finally Gallardo will be, able, will be able to uh, put Alario and Moreira. Uh, ah, I will in the end. Oh, well. They got the yes, because the the players of the South and the twenty national team will they were eliminated, of course, will be uh, arriving tonight, and they will we won't be able to be tomorrow. Yeah, that has to be twenty four yes. hours between yes. them getting back and kick off in order for them to be which means allowed to play, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that they should be able, available to no, tomorrow and not against San Lorenzo uh-huh. yeah, weekend. Brilliant. Um, yeah, just I'm I'm looking at. Uh, Atletico's recent um, fixture list, uh, the, the last few results, and although it sort of looks quite patchy results-wise, it's been nil one, one two, one nil, three four, two two, nil one, three nil, one two. Um, the vast majority of those games have been away from home. Um, Plus, they've the, had ten Copa Libertadores games already. Yes, interspersed with that. Yeah, exactly. So a lot yeah. of mixed teams, a lot of rotation. Precisely. Um, uh, not much to play for in the league, so everything's been for the for the Copa. Of the, results, of the results I just read out, only the first one, which was the nil one, that was against Gimnasia, that was a home defeat. But the two victories, the one nil, <coughs> which was against San Lorenzo, and the three nil, which is against Banfield, so two strong teams, uh, were there other two home games in that spell, and all of the others, four uh, three against Racing, defeat. 2-2 draw with Colón, 1-0 defeat to Atletico de Rafaela, 2-1 defeat now to Tacheres this weekend, those were all away. So, you know, River are another tricky team to be facing, but in the last two tricky teams they've faced in Tucumán, they've beaten. Um, so it, it's going to be very interesting to see it. We're obviously recording this week uh, before that game. It would have been nice to record after, but I'd have to um, be signing the contract to renew my, my rent um, of this flat on Thursday night, so we weren't able to record on Thursday. Plus uh, harassing a player, of course. Of course. Are they not playing tonight? No, they're playing on Thursday. Oh. I actually thought it was Wednesday. But Rio Negro Aguilas. Rio Negro Aguilas. The team without a home. Yes. Or in with the, many homes. Right now we're, we're watching Universidad Católica against Petrolero in the Sudamericana. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Universidad Católica of Ecuador, not of Chile, because of course the Chilean ones were in San Lorenzo's group of the Libertadores. And it's Petrolero of Bolivia. But not Oriente Petrolero of Bolivia. It's all very confusing, this Sudamerican. It's got lots of teams in it that I didn't... And tomorrow is never heard of. Independiente playing against Alianza Lima in Peru. Yes, ah, the first leg of that was nil-nil yeah. in Avellaneda. And the second leg is uh, Wednesday. And you're playing away, aren't you, Racing? Well? Yes. And you're in the first leg one-nil, is that right? Yes. One-nil. Very much, good. Um, good, let's move on from River and Atletico Tucumán then and discuss the next team down in the Big Five discussion will be did anybody catch Independiente Aldo Civi on Friday night? No, no not chance. Nice. So, nil-nil draw unfortunate for Independiente but it keeps up their, their good unbeaten run at the moment What was what I could catch of course not very much of the match but uh, because of what the <coughs> coaches said it was an Aldo Civi of course uh, Something similar like San Lorenzo's match, in which they just threw the ball away and and well they they had to they had to look after their 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 goal and and to uh, take the clean sheet which they achieved uh, even against San Lorenzo winning uh, the match with a single play with a rebound from um, Navarro and taking that into the goal. And uh, on Friday against Independiente, they they get got one point, which for them it's valuable. Uh, we will see after the uh, last round if it, it is useful for them to 
say from relegation, but the, yeah. the Perazzo, the, the, the coach of LCB said that well, we, won't, we can't do anything else that, like, but threw the ball away and, and try to save uh, our goal from, from scoring. Yeah, it means that Aldosiri are clear. Uh, it, it sort of it doesn't help them a lot, of course, but it, it helps them to an extent. They they've got. I'm trying to compare them with um, a team in the relegation zone with the same number of games. Ah, so Tempele, who are actually at the top of the relegation zone, have 76 points from 72 games. Aldosiri have 81 points from 72, so five points difference, which isn't a lot, but with only four games to go, um, it could be. Um, Enough yes. to keep them That's up. why a point for them is it's important. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and the other game, of course, uh, that, that we've not mentioned with the Big Five team, and it had the other two Big Five teams in it because it was Racing's 2-1 over San Lorenzo de Almagro mm. on Saturday evening. I only saw the first half because I went to the cinema uh, at mm. halftime. But, uh, Dan, how did it go? Well, it was a momentous day because I believe it beckoned in the age uh, that in Racing, surely in years to come, we will call AO. Uh, after Orion it was the first match the debut of Juan Musa a 23 year old keeper I believe who's played like 90 games in the reserves Mm -hmm. and never in in the first team because he's always been behind Saka and then Orion and he came in after Orion was canned for um, for letting in five goals in the last two games the last two defeats to Independiente Central. Yeah, Orion wasn't even on the bench for it, was he? He was not. Apparently, that was his decision. He said <laughs> if he wasn't going into the first team, he preferred not to be included in the list because it'd be like I don't know, putting pressure on the on the kid if he was on the bench, something like that. Interesting. I don't know. Apparently, apparently, it was a selfish, a selfless thing, not okay. a, not a bitch. Nothing thing. to do with the injury. No, 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 no. He's not going to Colombia oh. either uh, on Thursday. And yeah, the kid did pretty well. Not quite as well as to warrant the massive ovation he got for absolutely everything he did in the Cilindro. I think that's more to do with the fact that uh, Agustin Orion isn't the most lovable chap. Um, but apart from that, it was a strange game. It kind of opened up about, what was it, 35, 40 minutes in when... Um, Someone who I've now forgotten for San Lorenzo got sent off for a foul on Rosales, oh, yeah, a professional right, yeah, foul. I was in the kitchen, I missed it. I think it was after 40 Rojas. minutes. It Rojas, of yes. course. Yes. Rev for Rojas. Rojas. Yes. Yeah. And that was 43 minutes. In 43 minutes. So. Yes, yeah, so San Lorenzo played the whole second half with 10 men. Uh, Racing got a little bit lucky to open the scoring about a minute into the second half when Rosales stabbed one home. It was a pretty eventful game for him. Um, then San Lorenzo hit back with some, you know, with help from some dreadful marking from Racing for a change. Pichud, again, he was back for Gaston Diaz in this competition that two have uh, to find out who is actually the worst right-back in the universe. It's pretty it's pretty neck-and-neck at the moment. They're doing well. Mm. Um, and then with Jorge Sampaoli in the crowd, I was hoping I'd get this chance to link in because as we've talked about one ex-Ferro player in, um, in the national team. There's actually two. Uh, Marcos Acuna is the oh, other. Course, he yeah. was already in and he had San Paoli's attention in El Cilindro. And he, he had a pretty shoddy game for his standards. But he came up with a, with a very nice low finish to, to make it 2-1. And from there, there wasn't really that much. Wow. Ah, Lisandro Lopez 
uh, sinned uh, for being generous, as we say, um, when he decided to pass instead of taking on our our one on one, and there was a couple of other mischances. But Racing broke this losing streak that was getting on my nerves. They're back in the Libertadores race. I believe they're one point behind. There's a whole um, chasing pack of teams yeah, right we'll, up we'll there. Give an update on the race in a, in a second. And yeah, so happy, happy. It was good. While we're so I think Andres wanted to. Andres was dying to say something while I was talking about. Yes, uh, am, I, am I wrong if I say that uh, after Roberto Ayala, this is the first, of, of course, this will be the second one uh, since uh, the second right centre back to be called up for a national team after after Ayala uh, that comes out from Ferro because Ayala, of course, was then uh, signed for River, but uh, mm. of course he. He came from from Ferro. Well, Fasio's already been there, right? He's been in the squad before. Ah, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah he has been. Yeah. But this must be the first time, at least, that there's been two Ferro players yes. in the squad for quite a long time. Or ex. Used to players. be a semichero. Now, perhaps it's more uh, not well after Buffarini, perhaps, and, and some other player that perhaps mm. I forget, but. Uh, Ah, Buffarini, so yeah, Buffarini's done well. While we are talking about Racing San Lorenzo, we have had one question about it. Uh, Oh, we turn in the questions. We leave the listeners' questions till the end, but since this is directly relevant to the game we're talking about right now, I'll read it out. It says, it's from Darren Paul, who asks, Did Pulpito Gonzalez decision-making do your head in this weekend, Dan? Because I was fuming, says Darren. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have a great game, to be honest, but he wasn't the only one. Um... Darren, when you follow Racing for, what was it, eight or nine years as I have, you you just, you kind of learn to take the rough with the smooth. If you win, you you don't really want to get too technical and start uh, start nitpicking. So, we won, three points in the bag, and Bulbo come back, a better man for it. Indeed. Um... Other big results over the weekend, as we mentioned already, Newell's three against Olimpo two was uh, not an unentertaining game, but perhaps not quite as thrilling as that scoreline suggests. But some of the goals of that match, especially from Newell's, were just awesome. Yeah, especially the the assists from from um, Formica. Uh, I think I think that the level he shows sometimes because he's not uh, he he doesn't show that level all the time. Mm. Uh, he's, he's been inconsistent he's put in some really good yes. performances for Newell's especially this season but um, yeah has, has, has not managed to uh, wrap it up sort of and, 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 and be more consistent I did also enjoy Hector Fertoli's uh, performance, performance yes. two goals and the thing I particularly enjoyed was, was watching a couple of the Newell's fan accounts that I follow on Twitter during the game after Ferdoli's uh, goals then starting to retweet people who had spent the first 15 minutes of the game slagging Ferdoli off uh, um, but let me say that yeah. the, I think the best uh, Twitter account regard, uh, related to football or perhaps one of the best is the fan of Gabriel Auche oh yeah yes. for me that's, that's really gone downhill since they started sort of being serious sometimes yeah. I, I nah. not preferred serious. it when no. they just did the ridiculous Statistical comparisons. He turned it around this Gabriel week. Is, is better, but all of the serious stuff about you can watch the game on this on these channels. Yeah. Depending on he's scored more goals than Totti. Yeah, okay. I think the guy is actually a really massive fan of Alche. I don't yeah. think it's you know the essence behind it is I sarcastic. Just the fact that he knows he has to kind of play I think it up. It might a bit. be Gabriel Alche's dad. It could well be or Gabriel Alche himself. But yeah. the one he did 
between Alchi and Totti was yes. just oh, I brilliant. Ah, oh, you've got to see it. So Basically, Alchi is better than Totti because he's got a better goal-scoring ratio in international games. He's won as many local titles, as many national titles as Totti. <laughs> and... He scored more goals against Defensa Justicia. Yeah. Totti has never scored a goal against Defensa Justicia. That much. As far as we know. Undeniable. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that was something else I was going to say as well about Niels, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, there's a account that they retweeted. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, not sure how we, we, we switched from. We haven't previously yeah. mentioned it, um, but uh, it, it occurred to me. That, that perhaps we should have done is that Newell's old boys recently became the uh, first Argentine Primera club in, uh, actually as far as I'm aware the first Argentine club full stop uh, to launch an official English language Twitter account mm. you can follow it it's at uh, can you remember what it is? <laughs> I should have looked it up before saying that shouldn't I? give me a second everybody that's got to be Luis Bessoni behind that right? got to be well, no, it's, it's an official. It's it's yeah, but you know, so I think Club Atlético Newell's old boys, oficial in Spanish, so with only one F, and then an underscore, and then E N for English. Um, yeah, that yeah. is Newell's official English language uh, account. As far as I've seen, they don't actually live tweet their matches in the same way that um, the the official Spanish one does. But I think that that should be you know, they should be given some support. And also, if you're listening to this and you're linked to a, a, a Primera club, perhaps based in Buenos Aires, who might be looking for an official English language um, social media account, then you know, give them our contact details because Dan and I speak English as a first language and we'll be happy to do that kind of work. Particularly me, because I need the money. Um, what else was good? San Martín against Sarmiento, as I said, seems like it was really good fun, but unfortunately it was on at the same time as Huracán Boca, so all I kept seeing was score updates. Um, so we can't really comment too much on that one. It was another match with very nice goals, which was the only thing I could catch. Mm. Uh, and another goal from Brian Fernandez, former Russian. Yeah. Boys on fire. Yes. Unfortunately, in a losing cause, of course, because it was yeah, both. Yes, both so. goals were losing. Yeah. Losing matches. Mm. Um, Luckily, on Saturday as well, oh, Racing handed a debut to another Brian because Racing have a limitless supply supply of young Brian's. It's yes. quite impressive. There's been. And who was this, Brian? This one was Brian Alvarez, I believe. Okay. We've and already given debuts to Brian Mancisha. Brian Liu. Um, Liu came a bit earlier, but Brian Mancisha and Brian Guiche. And Brian Fernandez, of course, played. And now Brian Alvarez. Isn't Racing looking for Brian Sarmiento? Brian, he was at Racing ah, for. Yeah. And how, how, how does this latest Brian spell his first name? Because that, that's one of the. No, I think this latest Brian spells it with an A. Ah. AI. So B R A I A N. Yes. Okay. I think. That's sort of halfway between the correct way and how Brian Allen Mountain spells it with the A H I A N. Probably my favourite variant on the theme. Um, anyway. But he's also from Uruguay, so it doesn't count, I think. No, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> Lanús uh, got a very thoroughly deserved win over Arsenal. It just looked like a matter of time before they would break the deadlock. And eventually, after being patient enough, they did. Two pretty well-taken goals from Hernán Denis. Uh, one in the 81st minute and then another with practically the last kick of the game. Does this mean Arsenal are going to go down now? It means I'm that Arsenal... Just waiting are, so patiently. So, sorry, Sarmiento's defeat to San Martín leaves them on the brink. It mean, They're not relegated yet but they are all but down. Um, this is 
obviously people who aren't sort of oh no hang on sorry Arsenal haven't played the same number of games as them but yeah Sarmiento I think if they lose at the weekend mm. might be relegated I think it's possible um, but it's very difficult to work out of course with the mathematics of the Argentine Rafael uh, done as well right? and it means that Arsenal are now perilously close again Excellent. they're still not in the relegation zone but they're not very far above Tempele at all um, to put it into perspective in fact the easiest way as I always say is to just look for the, the team with the same number of games as them in the relegation zone and in this case it would be Kilomes who've got 95 points to Arsenal's 98 um, and the way that those teams are playing at the moment you know Arsenal aren't picking up many points at all so we shall see but I think Samiento and Atletico de Rafaela really now are doomed um, yeah Rafaela can go down this weekend it's going to be bet- oh can they as well well, then eight points behind Arsenal with 12 still to go. Right, but if Arsenal can still go down, then that might not. Uh, it's, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens, and then we'll tell you about it afterwards. That's, Just kick six or seven down. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, but yeah, I suspect it's going to be between sort of Tempani and Kilmes, who are the other two teams in the relegation zone at the moment, and then Arsenal, Olimpo, Rakan. Maybe Patronato and Albosiri um, to uh, to fill those two remaining places if if we do accept that Atletico and Salmiento are down. I think we can. Uh, speaking of one of those teams, Patronato got a three 0 defeat at home to Godoy Cruz at the weekend. Juan Garro scoring yet again. He scored apparently mm. six goals this season. It feels like five of them at least have been in the last month or so. Gaston Jimenez and uh, Marcelo Benitez is that. M. Benitez I've forgotten his first name <laughs> the one who plays for Godoy Cruz that is I want to think Martin Benitez but he plays for Independiente and he was a sub so we haven't got his first name on there never mind somebody Benitez scored the other goal for Godoy Cruz um, anything else from the weekend? nah I think that's about it and I think then that it's time to take a slightly early half time break we've only been recording mm. for 37 minutes so it's been a short one this one but it makes a nice change um we shall refill our glasses and um, when we come back we will answer a few listeners' questions we will talk about uh, some other stuff told you all roughly what was happening in the Copa Libertadores uh, last week. Of course, since we recorded, we have had confirmation of all of the standings uh, for every group because they've now finished and the knockout rounds will be happening. The first legs are in the uh, second week of July, I believe, and then the second legs are in the first or second week of August. I'm not sure why there's a month between them. But there we are. Well, it's, it's kind of what we're talking about. It's still so, working out how to make it last a year. I'm guessing. San Lorenzo, I think that they should, they will, uh, they was, they were going to ask Conmebol to delay the, the the round of sixteen. It it would kind of make sense because there's something that uh, I noticed Mariano, funnily enough, a San Lorenzo fan, of course, uh, our San Lorenzo fan when he when he has the time to appear, um, saying on Twitter last week was that it kind of is going to distort things slightly because all of the South American nations have got a mid-year break, either a mid-season break or a break between seasons. 
um, with the exception of Brazil, which means that the Brazilian sides, you would think, are going to be somewhat closer to full match fitness when the first legs get played. Because Brazilian football never stops. It's amazing. Uh, no, it <laughs> <laughs> They're 80 games a season. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, sort of, it, it's got the potential to be slightly distorted, but at least we're not getting to the quarterfinals and then taking a two-month break before the semis. Um, so the standings, final standings, are Group 1, Botafogo and Barcelona went through first to Barcelona, of course, of Ecuador, so don't get too excited. Went first um, and second, separated only by a goal difference. Estudiantes uh, and Atletico Nacional both won their last matches um, against those top two. Um, which means, because they match each other's scores, that Estudiantes go through in third place uh, to the Copa Sudamericana and Atletico Nacional, the defending champions of the Copa Libertadores, are out at the first hurdle. Group 2 was won by Santos of Brazil and in second place were the strongest of Bolivia with nine points. Uh, Santa Fe, Independiente Santa Fe of, of Colombia, go through to the Sudamericana and the Peruvian side Sporting Cristal finish bottom of that group on just two points. <laughs> Not the worst performers in the group stage, mind you. I'll tell you who those are later. River Plate, who, as we mentioned already, could and looked very probable to finish um, as the best of the group winners this time last week, ended up losing at home to Independiente Medellin uh, after fielding a, a mixed or reserve side, so they won't be too bothered um, since they have the group one anyway, um, which means that they finished top of group three on 13 points. Emelec a second on 10 points, the Ecuadorian Giants. So that's two teams from Huachaquil, which must be the first time Ecuador have put two teams in the knockout without having the help of altitude. Yeah, um, Very good spot there. Yeah. Uh, Independiente Medellin in second place. They would have been even if they hadn't beaten River um, because Melgar, uh, Independiente Medellin finished on nine points and Melgar are down on three points, the Peruvians. Um, in no. group four... Group 4, of course, was the one that we were talking last week, was, was on a knife edge, in which, if you listened all the way through to the end of last week's episode, you will have heard me uh, give you the scores. And mm -hmm. also, I found it quite funny, because I had to put up with most of the group stage with people, particularly just one or two of my followers, sort of constantly on Twitter going, Ah, Flamengo are the best team in this competition. Flamengo are going to dick it. I don't know why they're bothering to play the Libertadores this year. They should just give it to Flamengo. Or the final's definitely going to be Flamengo versus River or all this, and Flamengo have gone out of the group stage because they lost all three of their away matches. Um, San Lorenzo came from behind to beat them 2-1. There was a point late on in that game where uh, Flamengo players were apparently telling San Lorenzo players that the other match had already finished and had ended 2-2 so don't bother scoring any goals because a draw sent us both through. Uh, the other match didn't finish 2-2, it had finished 3-2 to Atletico Paranaense who as a result of it go through in second on goal difference behind San Lorenzo and interestingly Flamengo finished with the best goal difference in the group but only in third place. Um, Universidad Católica of Chile, not of Ecuador who are the ones playing right now in the Sudamericana um, are the team who were the, uh, the wooden spoon winners in Group 4. Group 5 was won by Palmeiras of Brazil. In second place, Jorge Wilstermann of Bolivia. That's a team, not a person. Although they are named after a Bolivian. It's like the strongest is a team, not an adjective. Indeed, yes. Uh, but uh, Wilstermann, Wilstermann are named after uh, an early pioneer of Bolivian aviation. Um, interesting life the guy had, actually. Look him up on Wikipedia, Jorge Wilstermann. It's interesting biography um, Atletico Tucumán finished third so weren't able to uh, 
to to achieve the dream of getting through to the knockout stage of the Libertadores, but they do get a go at the Sudamericana. And Peñarol, the continental giants from Uruguay, finish bottom of Group 5. Group 6 is won by Atletico Mineiro, with Godoy Cruz in second place. Of course, Godoy Cruz already had qualified before the last game of this group was played, and the last game was against Atletico Mineiro, who, who thrashed a rather disinterested-looking Godoy Cruz team. I think it was, was it 4-1 or 4-0? 4-1, was it, I think. Yes. Um, to, to overtake them into first. Libertad finished third on six points of Paraguay and Sport Boys of Downs Avenue, Juanes, and also of Peru, um, finish on two points. Lanús win Group 7, thanks partly to that 3-0 walkover that they were awarded uh, against Chapecoense. Uh, they therefore top Group 7. Nacional of Uruguay finish in second in Group 8. Chapecoense have to put up with third place and a chance to defend their Copa Sudamericana crown and Sulia finished bottom with five points Sulia are the Venezuelans in that group and in group eight Gremio won the group with 13 points and indeed had the best record of any of the group winners Guarani of Paraguay finish in second with 11 Depotes Iquique suffer the unfortunate fate of being eliminated from the Libertadores in spite of having a total that would have won two of the other groups with that points tally there were two teams who went through uh, I think there were six teams who went through with ten or more points, mm. and two teams actually won their groups with ten points. Deportes Iquique finished third in theirs with ten points. To be fair, that group sort of skewed exactly. by what you were Partly because Samora of Venezuela uh, were the worst team in the whole group stage. They didn't manage to pick up a single point, and they conceded 20 goals in six matches. Um, so what this means is that all of the group winners go into one part. So Botafogo, Santos, River, San Lorenzo, Palmeiras, Atletico Mineiro, Lanús and Gremio, you'll notice they're all Brazilian and Argentine clubs, go into pot one. The group runners-up, which are Barcelona, the strongest, Emelec, Atletico Paranaense, Jorge Wilstermann, Godoy Cruz, Nacional and Guarani, go into pot two. The seeds will all be drawn to the best group winners, um, down to the worst group winners in, in uh, the seeds one to eight, and the best runners-up, down to worst runners-up, are seeds... Uh, 9 to 16 even if you know there's a runner up with more points than the worst group winner they're, they're still split that way just um, an interjection and the seeds will be used to decide who plays at home in the second leg go on then just a quick comment I was just looking uh, at Zamora they mm-hmm. were t- completely awful but they also scored as many goals as one of the group winners they scored oh, so 6 they Botafogo, just yeah. like Botafogo yeah. and they outscored one of the qualifiers as well which is further down I believe uh, yeah, Nacional. Nacional. They've got five goals in uh, in Group 7. Yeah, you know, good spot. Work on their defence a bit and, and they could be <laughs> Indeed, who knows? Well, well, quite a lot, in fact. Yeah. The, um, yeah, a goal of game is not that bad, if you consider they lost all six games. Yeah, indeed. Um, so, yeah, that, that draw, as I say, is going to be made on the 10th of June. We have Copa Sudamericana action going on right now, as we've mentioned. And I think, is it all of the second legs are going to be completed this week? No, tomorrow is over campaign against Deportivo Anzuategui. Yeah, yeah, and then on Thursday. But this week is ah. th- this phase of the Sudamericana is going to be over at the end of this week, right? That yes, there are no more tomorrow, next week. I and have to check that here, can't I? Also, I'd imagine if next week's uh, an international week, I wouldn't imagine they'd be playing games, right? True. Yeah. So that must be. I'll just check that there are none coming up in like mid July or something, because the way that this year's Sudamericana is. Um, is going, it wouldn't surprise They've taken a sweet time about it, that's Patriot, sure. as we ever done, is later tonight. These are all next... Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. These are the next few days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, OK, so by Friday, uh, the current round of the Sudamericana will be over, and then the 
third place teams with the Libertadores will go into the second mm -hmm. phase to join with everybody else, um, which also has lots of matches, and we'll let you know what happens then, as and when it's necessary. Uh, let's go through some listeners' questions. Now, first of all, an update from Sace Mass last week who asked us about a service called Overcast, a subscription service. Ah. I then, I'd never heard of it before, so I had a look into it and got back to him. Um, Overcast is, is a piece of software uh, that you can download uh, for your iPhone or whatnot, which will, as far as I can see, just take whatever iPhone, um, iTunes subscriptions you've got um, and play it in there. So it's not a subscription service as such itself. So if you've got Overcast, then you can find us on there. It's Hand of Pod uh, with spaces between the words. If you search, if you search without spaces, then as Sace Mass did last week, um, you won't be able to find it. But if you search with spaces, you will find us there. That's the key. Now the questions. David H. Lee asked a couple of days ago that last week we laughed so hard uh, when um, Darren Paul suggested Luciano Aued as that... Uh, replacement for Paul Scholes for Manchester United is there any reason for this uh, I did clarify to him that one reason was that Luciano Aued is 30 years old and um, as Dan says not exactly the freest scoring of midfielders I think uh, so what was the, what was the number of goals I put you said two, two in 220 games two in 220 games yeah. was that actually researched or was that just a rough that was research yeah okay. it was actually 218 or something but I wanted to you know, make it a bit more general indeed um, thereafter, Mark Wright asks, "Love your guys, love your pod, guys. Thank you very much, Mark. Do you get to many games at all? Yeah, I don't particularly, because um, I prefer to watch them on television. <laughs> I, I can watch far more of them on television than going to them. And also, it's expensive, and I haven't got much money. Uh, but Dan, you get to. I get to rest. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think as anyone who's been following the pod for any time will know, I'm a racing member." And work doesn't always allow me to get to the games. For example, this Saturday I had to watch it on TV. And I'm like Sam, I hate watching wrestling games on TV. Do you know? But it's not just because I'm a supporter and I enjoy the jumping, the singing. I find it really interesting watching from behind the goal mm -hmm. and watching from that angle. Because you see things that on kind of this, the oblique pitch side view the TV gives you, don't show up. Okay, cool. And... No, just kind of the movement of the fullbacks, how they, how the midfield kind of moves in one um, to kind of block off attacks and this kind of thing. It's, it's do, a different angle. And you do Definitely. get a different, I mean, you're right, because obviously I don't go to very many games myself, but I do go to games. Uh, I've been to football matches before. Um, and yeah, I would agree, actually, and it's, it's something that you get even in that respect, you get a slightly different view there from if you're in the stadium watching from the side, mm. you realise the width of the pitch much more. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is an interesting... Uh, yeah, the, the problem is when the action is in the other goal, you're, you're just one... If the, the attack is in the goal, you are perhaps seated, it's okay, but when the attack is in the other one, you perhaps you lose... Nah, no. usually if if you're in the Racing Popular, it's not too bad. Unless you get there quite late, have to go right up the top and you have the entire um, the entire firing goal obscured by a flag That's or a banner. That's a bit difficult. But no, in general, I do enjoy watching games with this with this kind of end-to-end um, -end view. Mm. It gives definitely gives you a different perspective on things, which, you know, seeing things that you don't get so really pitched at. Tom Robinson asks, how much coverage have Mauricio Pellegrino's achievements at Alaves received in Argentina, and where do you think he should go next? 
Mm. Answer to the first question is almost none. Not much, not much. I mean, if we're going to talk about Argentine coaches in La Liga, Beriso hasn't beaten by a, by a nice... He's got a little bit more coverage Even then, in the Argentine yes. press. Not so much. Either. No, it's marginal, yeah. but a little bit more than yeah. Pellegrino. The problem with Pellegrino is he was never that big a name to start with in Argentina. Uh, I mean, he was Estudiantes yeah, coach, he his, was his, his, his coach. Yeah. wasn't sort of particularly media savvy or media... No. Yeah, not, I don't want to say media friendly, because that makes him sound like he was an arsehole to everybody in the press. He, but he just didn't sort of do anything to really attract attention. No. He had more coverage when he was a player, Valencia, that now that he's a coach, Corsa, he's decent at Alaves, but he has been interviewed by La Nación recently, and he was consulted by this change of coach with San Paoli, and if that will represent something really different, and he said, which was of course intelligent, that it will depend on the project, not only one man. Because San Paoli, if it's uh, the old AFA, will, will be, won't be able to do a lot of things uh, than if he is surrounded by, by new, really new uh, di- directors that mm-hmm. than do, want to do th- different th- different things. And, and of course, that's something true. It's He was consulted more or less because of that, because he's in the, in the, in the environment, he's in the... Well, Spanish football where Sapoli also were was um, until now. Yeah. So, but not uh, because of his of his job or of his work at Alaves. I, I also just kind of think maybe 10, 15 years ago, Pellegrino even at a you know relatively small foreign club like Alaves would have been getting more attention. But now there are so many Argentine managers oh, yeah. who are sort Fair. of up at that kind of level or, or, or managing at a slightly higher level well between the players the coaches I mean even Almeida who's just won the league in, in Mexico right yeah, Chivas yeah. he gets more coverage than, than Pellegrino yeah. because it's River it's Almeida all this kind yes, of yes but Pochettino also has with not having played in perhaps more apart from the national team which mm-hmm. was important uh, as a player in, in clubs Mm-hmm. Had, didn't have very very uh, a lot of well uh, coverage, but now that he's constant in, in Tottenham with great results, with a, a good job. Yeah, there's still the years. not that much coverage. Yeah, considering the right? size of the job and the size of the yeah. that he's in. Yeah. Um, yeah, Darren Paul, we've already read out one of his questions. Says, you know, did, did uh, Gonzalez' decision making do your head in this weekend? Dan, we've answered that one already. He says as well as this is Claudio Diablito Jacob headed to Independiente he's not um, Darren also wrote to me in in a tweet that was only directed to me mm-hmm. uh, it's a case of him not translating correctly or misunderstanding a quote he gave to I can't remember what I think it was a Racing a Racing fan media uh, basically the translation of what he said was that um, those in charge of racing used what happened, you know, no, not used, invented mm-hmm. what supposedly happened with him at the end of um, an Independiente derby defeat, which was that he changed um, shorts with an Independiente <laughs> player and then walked into the that, dressing that room. didn't misspeak, by the way. The, the story really was that they changed shorts, not yeah. shirts. And then sauntered into the dressing room. 
that this was invented and used to send him off to train with the youth kids at the at the Tita training facility. Uh-huh. So Darren just got the run into the stick and understood that he was talking about a possible link uh, okay. to Independiente. In that case, I apologise to Darren for reading out your mistranslation. No, no, I wanted to. Uh, I was saving this for. I was saving this for the pod to to set the record straight. We, so we, there you go, Darren. We we're not trying to embarrass you, Darren. I can't stress Definitely that. Definitely not. If, if any listeners do tweet silly questions into us, I will yeah. in no way uh, humiliate them in front of the public. Uh, <laughs> Darren has asked lots of questions this month. Uh, his next one is: Who do you lads want to go up, Guillermo Brown? Nueva Chicago or Ferro? For me, Ferro would be most fun, Chicago least fun. We've had this one a few times in the yes. past few weeks, and I, I agree with Ferro, having not actually seen them. Um, but Darren does, as he says, write um, a weekly update on the second division for Golazo Argentino, which is Peter's um, Argentine football blog. Um, he says, if you've not read my piece this week for Golazo Argentino, Guillermo Brown and Nueva Chicago lead the charge for the second promotion spot, the first of course, being well and truly in the hands of Argentinos Juniors. Um, I'm hoping Ferro, still. Yeah, Ferro uh, and Chicago, I'd say. Yeah. Because Chicago, Chicago are just good fun. And I'm hoping that once uh, away fans come back to, um, to Buenos Aires, whoever knows when that will be, going to, um, going to Mataderos as an away fan is going to be a whole, yeah. a whole load of fun. And, and also the, Gomito Gomez, if, yeah, if they got this year... Yeah. He might Wait, 44 or something. No, 40. He's 40 now, so he might be 41. Is that all? Yeah. So yeah, I'm hoping to see Gomito and go to Matares and Andres, burn it down. You were going to say something? Yes, we we discussed that and uh, we agreed that we it will be funny to to see again Gomito Gomez in Primera as uh, he's 40 or 41. Right? Mm-hmm. He he missed the penalty in the last round against Almagro, I think. Ibar, I think Chaka Chaka were out there, right? Yeah. They're not too far away. Chacarita. Yeah, I think somebody else mentioned that later on, and um, yeah. and Darren actually said that he meant to include them as well in the in the tweet. Mm, Chacarita are good friends as well. <laughs> Eva Stensley asks: Is Juanma Leo joining the Argentine national team, or is he staying in Spain? I have to Google who, who he was. He's a Spanish coach who joined uh, Jorge Sampaoli's backroom staff when mm. Jorge Sampaoli was in charge of Chile. I have not heard anything about that though. Um, and in fact, I was looking at La Nacion earlier to, uh, back at their last um, articles about San Paoli to see whether there was anything about his likely um, technical team, and I can't find anything. Um, so I'm going to assume no, he's going to stay in Spain. San Paoli, this is a really old article that I've just been clicking yeah, for anything. It said that San Paoli travelled to Argentina with his family and his dogs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that Leo is staying where he is. Uh, Tom, Tom Robinson says, if not mentioned already, how do Veron and company sort out the Argentine youth system? Is Veron still in charge of the Argentine youth system? He's new at the, the charge, I think. Oh, is he? I'm yes. very confused. Though. He's director of national teams, plural, I believe. This question, of course, is in the context of Argentina's rather chaotic showing mm. at the Under-20 World Cup, where... Um, in a group campaign of which I actually watched one of the matches in spite mm. of the fact they all started horrendously early in the morning um, but I did get up early on Friday to watch the final game which was the 5-0 thrashing of Guinea um, Argentina are out at the first hurdle from what we hear deservedly so they lost 3-0 to England and then they lost to South Korea to 2-1 two 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 we said this last week didn't we um, and yeah so there's, there's a fair bit of work to do 
Yeah. It's not exactly the days of Jorge, uh, Jorge Beckerman mm. or even Jose Luis Beckerman being in charge. I actually talk about this in the column that will be coming out in this week's Buenos Aires Herald. You can pick it up from all good newsstands on Friday. Um, it'll come out online a little bit later. And essentially, um, Verón or San Paoli or whoever takes over from Claudio Ubeda, the current under-20 coach, or even Ubeda if he stays, can't really do that much on their own. There needs to be a... It won't be San Paoli, sorry, I'll remind you, because he's already said that he's not really interested in the um, in the, yeah. the youth national No, nah, fair enough. Yeah, fair sorry, enough. Yeah. Um, whoever is in charge nominally or or around this kind of uh, this kind of area can't do much on their own. There's got to be a sea change in attitude from from the clubs for me because mm. they're so reluctant to release players either for training. I think Uwe made the point in an interview he gave after elimination was assured that I think only on very few occasions he had the chance to um, to train with his entire squad. Yeah. Because this time he did actually have his squad fairly fairly settled. We can't really pick holes in him for that. It was the base of the squad that um, that played in the South American Championships, which yeah. was pretty improvised. But they had very little training time together. Then this ridiculous situation with Ezequiel Barco came along where apparently he felt mistreated because he didn't play that many minutes in the South American Championship so Independiente decided not to release him and they deprived Argentina of a very good player he's, but he's obviously very talented but at the same time he's what 17 or well, he was when he's the, just he's turned 18, 18 yeah. but when the Sudamericano took yeah, place he was 17 so complaining that you're not a regular starter for an under 20 side when you're 17 well, I think he did start as a regular starter but he had a couple of iffy games because yeah. he's 17 and obviously and they dropped him down but that's what I'm talking about and even worse this example is that it's coming from a club whose president is the vice president of the AFA yeah. Hugo Moshana um, you know fair play to Independiente they picked up 7 points in that time I hope they enjoy him but it's not the way to to build a project long term for um, for a good Argentina youth team and now we're in the 10th anniversary of their last World Cup win. Mm. It's still the best team in the history of the competition. They've got six World Cups, but it's hard to see where another one's coming from. And it's perhaps sort of indicative that maybe the previous wins under, and I'll apologise now to Jose Peckerman, by the way, I have no idea why I called him Jose Luis Peckerman, it's Jose Nestor Peckerman, as I know. Um, but yeah, so, you know, un- under him, maybe that was sort of atypical, because maybe this, could this be a problem when you've got the clubs essentially running the AFA? where there are always going to be these competing interests where, well, yeah, we don't actually want to help the national team out that much because we need to look after our own interests as well. And, of course, it's a much bigger problem at youth level than at full international level because at full international level, when the players go off for a tournament, the league stops. Uh, whereas when the players go off for the under-20 World Cup, the league carries on. If we look at Pekerman Zira, he had, Argentina had two advantages. One, Pekerman was there, of course, mm-hmm. uh, proper coach with a proper project for youth sides who played the same football from under 15s to under 20s um, you know they had very good players obviously you're talking about Messi Aguero Di Maria all in that team and you know without wishing to you know um, idolise someone who was disastrous in the main for Argentine football they had Julio Garandona I'd love to see <laughs> Independiente go to Julio and say, look, 
we're not gonna um, we're not gonna release Bargo for this for this under twenty World yeah, Cup. Sure. He would have shut things- Moshano in a room, mm-hmm. beaten him with reeds and and taken every single penny in in the Penientes bank account. If if Moshano was lucky. If he was lucky, yeah. I think that these things of Barco, if he goes, if he doesn't go yeah. to the national it team... It shouldn't be a discussion. Of you course. You picked, you go. I think that, of course, this, this uh, shouldn't uh, be in favour of Grondona. But if Grondona war, was alive, mm-hmm. this, this shouldn't have happened. No, of course. No one's defending what Grondona did. Yeah. A lot of the problems, as we've mentioned well, in the pod, are because of Grondona. But in this yeah. case, um, and he was someone who looked out First for himself, but then for the other. These guys here just look out for their clubs. And Marco himself, of course, should have done what a lot of uh, disasters uh, have done before. But uh, of course, we have helped because he's he's a good player. He's talented and should have helped. But uh, the environment and the, all the thing is is all a mess. And of course, since Ubeda was was uh, hired after. A lot of, of projects that have been present, mm-hmm. presented, and, and he he didn't uh, is another yeah. uh, thing that has been happening, and and the decay of the national team in general has put ne- the under twenty national team mm-hmm. into the same situation because the kids, of course, they want to play and and, and they don't care about anything else, mm-hmm. and, and it's yeah, you've got okay. to think the kids want to play a World Cup yes. if they yeah. got the chance, you know it's representing your your country and if we follow of it as well this comparison with Grandona the, yes. the current guy in charge of the AFA Chiquitapia is Hugo Moshano's son-in-law so I think probably the worst punishment he could give Moshano is you know serving him the littlest piece of steak at the at the Sunday barbecue it's about as far as he can go really. and uh, apart from the bad management that all the national teams including under 20 is Having, do you think that the Italy and versus Japan game was suspicious or no? I not? honestly didn't watch. <laughs> I have no because idea. The last, no, did I. last minutes were with the Italy yeah. uh, backs passing the ball to the goalkeeper. The well, goalkeeper what was the situation? Did they just need a draw or what? Yeah, they needed a draw yeah. to to pass, and they drew. And the goal of Japan, they say the Chuchu equalizer was with the Italian defenders. Saying, oh, okay, just score. But in these cases, you can't say it's that suspicious, mean, but it's not like anyone's giving you money to do it. It's just that doesn't mean that Argentina playing deserve to the, the advantages. Yeah. That doesn't mean that Argentina deserve to pass to the mm. round of 16. That, that has nothing to do one thing with the other. So, only thing that it was quite of, mm, mm. Uh, oh, how come that the, the defenders didn't mark with the perhaps putting the, the leg to... to with the ball. It's that also it, it's also a problem with the general structure of the tournament where yes. the last group games in each group weren't played at the same time um, mm. and where you've got these uh, four of six so the four best of six um, third place teams go through so that yeah you end up with those situations where teams know what mm. the results are yeah. Um, yeah, and that's why FIFA moved to uh, to playing um, in the proper World Cup, in, in the, the grown-up World Cup, uh, moved to playing last group matches simultaneously yeah. after after Anschluss in 1982, um, to give it its English-language yeah. name. No, we can say for Argentina as well, you know, everything we said about the organisation, calling up players is valid, but they also, they didn't have that luck either. 
I think. Mm. Uh, from what I've heard, they were pretty unfortunate against England. They dominated possession at least and had a few shots, uh, but the ball wouldn't go in. They were without um, Laudaro Martinez, who was on the bench after his injury, and then he came on, obviously, with a head full of steam. It lasted 18 minutes before being the first man ever to get sent off but via video replay. <laughs> Miss the South Korea game and Martinez is absolutely vital for this Argentina team. He's, yeah, as he's shown with his two yeah. goals against I mean, Skelly, which... he's a racing, he's a racing player, so I could be a, yeah. accused of being a bit biased. But if we're talking about teenage forwards in Argentina, there's there's none better, I don't think. Then you have Estudiantes against Boca game with the, all of the under twenty players in the team of Estudiantes. Yeah, and they have to go helicopter. off by helicopter. Yes, you have this incredible thing. It makes for a nice. Film script, it's all nice, but it hardly points to, to but you, great you preparation, could have, right? You it's could have uh, give, given that players uh, and let them go before the match and, and, mm. and put, of course, Vivas the other day said against Olimpo that they have this problem of the uh, under 20 national team players that had been in the, in, the, in the World Cup, injuries, and he had to have to repeat the mm. team with players that were tired. Well, but you, you, you knew that, and, and, and you could have uh, given the players that played against Boca before yeah. not to have that those players, even perhaps uh, with no shower, uh, dirty, and going by helicopter to the to the to Ezeiza, then traveling to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It was all all untidy, all of course, and and this is overall result is a, a, a repeat of mistakes with this mm-hmm. interview. So of course we we can't uh, blame Italy and Japan that they no, drew one, but uh, well, uh, what would happen with Uveda now? It's perhaps a, a, a big question because perhaps Sampoli has, like Martino had, mm-hmm. his own candidate to take part into the national team. We'll have to see. Training. We'll have to see. Uh, next question is from Ahmed W. Al Mudaris, who asks, sorry if I, if this has been asked before, no need to apologise. No. We always ask questions more than once if they get uh, answer questions more than once if they get asked more than once. And as it happens, this one hasn't been. He says, reports are saying that Boca are looking at Peru's Paulo Guerrero. Do you think this would be a good move for the player and the club? Um, that's the first that I've heard of it. I've just Googled it while the other two were talking, and it seems to be mostly being mentioned on Peruvian um, news sites. I've not heard anything about it from Argentine sources at all yet. I think it would be a very, very good move indeed for Boca if they could make the maths add up, which I suspect they won't be able to. And I'm less certain about just how good it would be for Guerrero himself, given that he's currently, I'm assuming, earning rather more in Brazil than he would be getting paid in Argentina. No, but he'd be moving to Boca. Boca yeah. can pay wages in on... This, in terms of the yeah, style of play that they have, though, at the moment, they've yeah. been putting an awful lot on his shoulders, whereas Flamengo, OK, yeah. they've just gone out the Libertadores, but they try to play in a way that I think uh, a centre-forward of Guerrero's style is going to be a bit... Having said that, now that I'm saying it out loud, Guerrero is supreme at latching onto long balls over the top and turning them into things. So, perhaps... And the prospect of seeing Tevez and Guerrero in, in the same team next year is... It's pretty interesting, That's I must say. As someone who lo- likes football, back, I think he will. He's miserable in China. Yeah. Not even that bed of, you know, that mattress of money he sleeps on every night can. This probably won't won't continue at Boca. Mm, it, 
doesn't seem likely, right? Mm. It would be a PR f- nightmare for him if they did. And morally reprehensible, of course. <laughs> but hey. But yeah, so I mean, Guerrero to Boca, like we said. I'd love to see it happen, but I'm doubtful. Very doubtful. It's an interesting one. It would be very interesting to see him in Argentina. Mm. I don't know when his contract's up at Flamingo. I can't imagine he'd go cheap, but... But hey, if if they got the money to pay his wages, then... I I think Brazil has a different structure in which, for example, of course, this... Perhaps may not be the same, but Neymar, when he was at Santos, mm. he stayed at Santos a lot of time uh, after uh, before uh, going to Barcelona because a lot of companies were yeah yeah investment groups and whatnot. Well, that happens here too, to be fair. Uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says he's going to take pride in beating Mystic Chris in last week's prediction runoff. Uh, should be a thing that Mystic Sam versus a guest so yeah let's start doing that actually now that you've suggested I was thinking earlier this afternoon actually mm. that it, it would perhaps be a, what were the scores in the doors I'm going to count them up and give you give Thanks. them to you before the Mystic prediction section well, Liam's so, already um, claiming victory so which I suspect is going to be Mystic Sam because I've uh, until this point at least on our Twitter timeline I've not had any predictions in for the weekend we'll see if somebody else does then we'll, we'll do Mystic Sam against that person um and then there's a bit of an argument between uh, Liam and Chris and uh, so, some some trash talk, let's say, between them. And uh, Liam, like me, uh, and indeed as I said to Chris on Twitter at the weekend, is completely baffled, as I mentioned when I read it out, uh, about why Chris went for Arsenal to beat Lanús. Um, Chris did tell me that, that a lot of that was because he's a Banfield fan and therefore just couldn't bear the thought of predicting <laughs> Lanús' victory. But sometimes it's, it's best to just go for what's actually going to happen, Chris. Um, Darren Paul is back with some more racing questions he says how hopeless is Insua Grimmy and Pichuda still our best fullback options works for me as I love them who are your borderline cult favourites I'm guessing this one's another one that's aimed at you Dan so go for it I think the second part could be for everyone but I'm going to answer the first part Insua's not that bad and I will not tolerate any sort of um, praise of Pichud because he's dreadful I've had to put up with this fucker for six years just turning the volume down on the microphone a bit because Dan's being very vehement in his uh, I've had to part with Pichu for six years he's played about seven decent games in all that time three of three or four of which were in his first four games and he's done absolutely nothing uh, saying Pichu's our best right back is a bit like saying he's our best venereal disease your best webcam model perhaps Best webcam model. I don't know exactly what that means. I'm, I'm going to stick with my venereal no, disease. You, don't pretend you've not seen the pictures. Oh, God. <laughs> not quite yeah, what I was going years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no, no. I remember that. <laughs> I love England then. Uh, Insu was all right. Grimi, uh, he was actually on the bench. He's back. On Saturday and he came on. He was in um, the right before. Yeah, he did his ligaments in. He'd been yeah. out for about seven months. So if we can... Bring Grimi back for into the fold. That's a big bonus. But Brasi need a new right back. It's absolutely chronic the situation, yeah, and I will not tolerate anyone but talking up Pichud. Pichud is at the right back, and and Gastonias is at the right uh, midfield, right? And is will be Gastonias better at the right back and Pichud? I don't know if in the midfield, perhaps taking Pichud back uh, out and of the team and Gastonias back at the right back. I think 
The I best thing would be for, for Ivan Pichud and Gaston Diaz to retire from football <laughs> and team up with uh, Gino Peruzzi to do a modern version of the Three Stooges. That's pretty much all they're good for, the three of them. That's an interesting shout. This is the kind of analysis you only get on Hand the Pod. Yes. Tariq Al Haidar asks. Ah, no, you missed the second part. I want a oh, Colt we River favourite from each of you. A Someone who's River. not that good, but uh, you love him. I'd say Farrasing, if I had to put one in. Um, the Colt one would have to be Gio Moreno, still. My idol. From the Hand of Pod era at River, it has to be Christian Fabiani. Good shout, good shout. Andres, from your river life. What, what uh, was the question? It's on idolo culto, Like, someone uh, who might not be the best player, but was kind of your favourite because he did s- crazy things or, you know, you have slight affecto for him. Um, yes. If you, I have to give a quick response, that will be the same. Fabiani? Uh, from, the... from a little further ago, I've, I've no idea how good he actually was as a footballer because I never saw him, but Vaselina Rojas, for instance, would be a, um, yes. another name, who, a, a guy who basically is a cult hero. Right after the goal. One goal. So, Ramiro Funek Mori as well. You know. Funek Mori. The, the corner that wasn't the corner in that Nelson Cuevas. Pipino, yes. <laughs> the, the goal against Racing was just... There's a fear. Uh, more questions Tariq Al-Haider asks how do you think Manuel Lancini might fit into Sampaoli's midfield um, he's been included of course in, in uh, Juan Sebastián Verón's squad for Argentina's friendlies against Brazil and Singapore that are coming up uh, which if we believe the rumours are going to be managed by Jorge Sampaoli <gasps> still nothing confirmed no. yet. but Lancini no. I think Lancini will be there because Dybala will be playing the, the, the final of the Champions League, League on, yeah. on Saturday uh, if when Dybala is available after the vacations, I, I, I suppose he will be there and Lancini will be a subs. I, I think it's an interesting one because when Lancini signed for West Ham, you know, we, we all said um, that he is clearly a very talented player, but it was going to be interesting to see how he sort of fit mm. in with, with a much more physical and much faster pace of, of the Premier League. Um, and, and the pace more than anything because in fact the physicality in Argentina is, is much more than what most people think it is yeah. and yet he's still in his early I mean he's, he's been at West Ham for two years now right yeah. and, and in, in the first few weeks of his first season he surprised me by getting his knees dirty uh, as, <laughs> as you might say much more than he ever did at River and he was part of quite a you know, relatively high pressing game from the highlights that I saw of West Ham um, on you know, uh, match of the day which I've heard that, that you can uh, watch online. Where's he been playing for West Ham? Like, out wide or more second strike? Well, he started off, if I remember rightly, sort of as, a, as an inverted right winger, and since then he's drifted right. into more of an attacking central midfield place. Okay. Having said that, I've, I've paid much less attention to the Premier League generally this season, apart from Man United's matches, so I can't sort of, don't hold me to this. Um, but I think, you know, it, it, part of it depends on how Sampaoli's going to play mm. as well. If Sampaoli goes with something like the sort of 3-3-1-3 that he did often with Chile and which would often mutate into a back four or a midfield four or a back five or whatever because they were nothing if not versatile. Lanzini's a good option for that one in between the, mid- the midfield mm. three and the forward three, for instance. Um, and I-, I like the fact that that he's being given um, some kind of recognition. Not He's not going to be in the starting lineup when Argentina are at full strength. But his work in the last two years, I think he's, he's 
come on, he's, he's improved as a player and he's added more strings to his bow. And he's a player so, who can play across that line, right? I mean, yeah. aside from the centre-forward position, he can yeah. occupy uh, three of those yeah, four advanced positions. Yeah. And, and, you know, two years ago when, when he was still with... Who was he? Fluminense. Fluminense, thank you. I knew it was somewhere in Brazil. When he was still there, you just sort of thought, well, he's not... You know, you couldn't really quite see him mm. getting to that point where he'd be pushing for inclusion in an Argentina team, and yet mm. now I, th- I think, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm happy to see him there. I think he's he's same yeah, he for deserves Paredes. it definitely. Same gate for Paredes, uh, Leandro Paredes, which also mm. has been called up mm. uh, when Vanega is not there. He could be a, a, perhaps a, yeah. a good a good uh, complement, or perhaps with uh, if if somebody wants a, a more creative midfield. Uh, with him, w- along with with Banea, but uh, talking about West Ham, there will be another player, Argentinian player, that I don't know whether he will be considered by San Paoli, but Zabaleta will be after seven years at Manchester City yeah, playing for West Ham, and the Manchester City uh, supporters uh, gave him a very very touching homage of ten minutes that was uh, posted by the Manchester City official Twitter account. With the mini Saba, it's a kid. Oh no, English mini Saba! That kid makes you weep like a like a little girl. Yes, poor mini Saba. Uh, Tariq Al Haider also asks: Are there any players outside the current squad who you think may be called up in the future? And then he gives a few examples: Garay, Franco Vasquez, Cranavita, Peruzzi. Um, I certainly think that the first three of those are potentially in for call-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Garay's only not there because he's injured or something at the moment, no? Yeah, he would have been now, as, sure. As being one of Sampaoli's sort of favoured players. Uh, and obviously Cranavita is a player that Sampaoli knows yeah. well. I've expected that. Fran- no, Franco Vasquez isn't going to be there because he's Italian. Yes. He of has course he's playing for Argentina, isn't yes. he? Yeah, so Franco Vasquez is a no and Peruzzi, I suspect, his recent <laughs> level. Unless he... If I picks himself up quite a lot. Yeah. If I Argentine, I would really hope that his recent level. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say he will. He should be also called up yeah. by, Itali- by Italy, but he has already been called up by. Ah, it's true. By mm. Paul Peruzzi, I remember being so impressed by him back when he played for Vélez and he kept yeah. Neymar quiet in in like three or four games when even, he played. Even when he first moved back to Boca, I mean, yeah, and he's been sort of quietly reliable for a fair bit of this season. But he's just in the last few weeks he's fallen off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, if you were going to look at another um, Argentina-based right back, you'd have to look at Di Placido, I think. Lionel yeah, Di Placido of Atletico Tucumán. Yeah. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks back. He yeah. just keeps doing a, a really good job against pretty decent opposition. Mm. Uh, Simon Clark says hi Simon Crew Huracan please explain they lose to Arsenal and then they draw against Boca and Estudiantes I'm confused uh, it would take a quantum physicist um, to explain the, Huracan the, the best explanation I can come up with it's is, is one that explains as well their, their run to the Sudamericana <laughs> final final and or the Copa Argentina final, final as well yeah. they're a cup team and when they have a one-off game mm. which is you know a, a sort of a big game whether it's actually in the cup or whether it's in the league uh, they seem to outperform themselves, yeah. and even though they're actually not that good. And so most matches, you get their normal level of just being a bit crap. Um, and then when they play decent teams, they up the game. Obviously, the, the one exception being when they play San Lorenzo, with, when they just sort of roll over and, and lose. <laughs> it's the classical. Um, but yeah, I think that's the best explanation we can come up with. Yeah, they have no time for the mundane. It's all about the spectacular for, um, for, for yeah. the game. Nashville says, simple one. 
Our river tiring now. They look to have lost a ton of intensity on Sunday. I suspect that that uh, apparent losing of intensity had as much to do with the fact that River were playing comfortably the most inform um, opposition that they've faced all year so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more that than than any sort of real lack of intensity or, or, or uh, getting knackered. But obviously they'll be you would think looking forward to the end of the season if they can make this run in play mm. and, and it might well be that this midweek game followed by another game immediately in, in, in the weekend hurts them but might not but I don't think there's anything you know they, they don't look tired to me as such I just thought the central played the first half especially very very well on Sunday Andres any thoughts? Sorry you couldn't listen to me uh, whether River are getting tired River tired? Mm. Yes yes could be but uh, sorry, I wasn't. I couldn't pay attention. Was because of the match. Uh, if they were tired, yeah. because of all the recent matches that they haven't played. Mm. No, I don't think it's a problem of, of being tired. Uh, I think, uh, I, as far as, as I'm concerned, because of the last match, they were just lack of the precision or the accuracy they, they used to have before, and, and not about the, the the energy of the or the or the. Something that has to be with being tired. Yeah, we're in broad agreement there. I think uh, there's then a bit of a discussion among a few of our followers on Twitter, which I've retweeted most of, uh, to do with whether people prefer Chacarita or Argentino Juniors or Guillermo Barone or the other ones to come up. So you can check our Twitter account for the retweets of that if you want to. Please stop humming down; it's distracting the listeners. So I was re- when I read a hum right sometimes. next to the uh, right next to the microphone. Uh, Darren Paul says Fidrishevsky whose name I have now learned to say, has been mega every time I see him. He always seems to score. Romero gets it done, and I like what I've seen of McAllister and Jan Silota for Argentinos Juniors, no? So Fidrusevski, is he on loan there, or is he...? I have no idea. So that's, that's the Newell's youngster. Um, Darren Paul then says, in reply to Simon's question, which was about what I can, could it be that they step it up against the big sides and phone that business in for the crap like Arsenal, which is precisely what, I, what we just said, really? So, well done, Darren, for um, predicting our answer. Mm. And in response to the question about Gustavo Bo, he says, is he leaving West... Uh, Gustavo Bo? <laughs> Claudio Jacob, I meant to say. He says, is he leaving West Brom? He couldn't return to Racing, surely. Um, would you like to see Claudio Jacob back at Racing? <laughs> no, I'll pass, thanks. <laughs> Those are all of our listeners' questions for this weekend, ladies and gents. So I'm now going to pause our recording, count up, uh, Mystic Chris and Mystic Liam scores to find out whether Mystic Liam really has uh, won the prediction battle or whether he's just getting in there early with his claim and then since we haven't had any mystical prediction guests this weekend at all I will give you my own predictions as Mystic Sam so don't go away have confirmation uh, that just as he claimed Mystic Liam did beat Mystic Chris last weekend uh, 6-3 convincing very convincing so well done to um, well to both of you thank you both for, uh, <laughs> for attempting this well done Liam for winning and yeah in future uh, nobody's done it this week but uh, actually have a look we've got one more notification so let's just see no, nobody's done it this week we have had one more question but we'll answer, there are a couple of questions by email as well that we forgot about so we'll answer those quickly at the end but first, my mystical predictions for this weekend. 
Uh, as follows, I'm not predicting Antetokounmpo to command the river, um, because it's already been predicted way back in the past by somebody else. And also, uh, because a lot of you listening to this, most of you listening to this, uh, it will already have happened before. You've heard it anyway. Here we go. At the weekend, Sarriento versus Defensa y Justicia. I'm going for a Sarriento, uh, Defensa y Justicia win for that one, sorry. Godoy Cruz to beat Atletico de Rafaela in Mendoza, also on Friday night. And then on Saturday, we have Tigre versus Vélez Sarsfield. I'm going for a Tigre win. Uh, Rosario Central against Colón, I think will be a Rosario Central win. Tempele versus Tacheres looks to me like a draw. Union versus Newell's Old Boys is also a draw. Lanús versus Estudiantes de la Plata. Ooh, that's a nice match to watch on a Saturday evening. Mm. Um, mm, what am I going to call there? I'll go for a home win, Lanús to win. Gimnasia versus Banfield on Sunday. Another interesting one. I'm going to call that a Banfield win. Banfield are in pretty decent form at the moment. San Lorenzo versus River Plate on Sunday afternoon is... Uh, is a river win. Belgrano versus Atle- uh, sorry, Atletico. No, Belgrano versus Arsenal de Sarandi. Um, don't watch that match. That's got That's a draw written all over it, right? Just whatever you do. I don't care if it finishes four three. Don't watch it. I'm going to go for a draw. Olimpo versus Huracan is also a draw, and also don't watch also it. Not want to watch. Atletico Tucumán versus San Martín de San Juan. I'm going to go. Ooh, having said that, if they play the starters. They might play reserves there. I'm going to go for a draw there as well. Boca Juniors versus Independiente is going to be a Boca victory in spite of Independiente's good recent run. Um, and then on Monday night, Quilmes versus Patronato de Paraná. I'm going to go for a Quilmes win. And Racing versus Aldo Civi has to be a Racing win, surely. Um, we will see what ends up happening. But those are my predictions for the weekend. We've had another question on Twitter from Manny Taka, who says, what system do you think Sampaoli will use, and will Argentina need to be fitter to play his pressing style? Um, System-wise, we haven't a clue. I mean, Chile was so uh, adaptable under him and and, and could drift so easily in the the blink of an eye from one formation to another and from one system to another that it's difficult really to say 4-2-1-3 you think given Argentina's fairly chronic lack of fullbacks that he'd be tempted to play with three at the back yeah with you know Maybe Macherano four, anchoring three, 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 and three, 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 three. the other two fullbacks kind it was of a bit more physically mobile, but... strong side the Chilean so yeah. if yeah, yeah. he can do the same with Argentinian players then he could adapt that system to the high pressure and dynamic yeah, yeah we'll and see whether the players need to be fitted to play as pressing style I don't think as such but he might have to adapt it because we've all read I'm sure about this uh, issue that, that Lionel Messi has where he can't run Sort of with with great intensity, his body needs a bit more time to recover, and therefore uh, you're not going to have eleven players on the pitch all able to do that for the whole. No, match. but San Paolo's always played like that in yeah. Universidad de Chile. Well, he had so Lorenzetti, who was a pretty stationary guy. I'm sorry, you're saying he's always let sort of one player off. Yeah, yeah. In okay. Chile, it was Valdivia. Mm-hmm. In Sevilla, he's had Iba um, Nasri or or Ganso. These are guys who don't really like running, to be fair. True. But they play... Um, also Correa, or who was playing more, in, more in, uh, in attack. Correa more, more, more on the wings, a bit outside, yeah. But, 
No, there's there's room in San Paoli's team for um, for a more stationary fella, definitely. So in that case, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good question, and we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Really, it's the slightly boring and safe, but the only honest answer, really. We'll have and a better idea after these two friendlies. Definitely. Yes, absolutely, yeah. And we have also had a question, um, a couple of questions by email. One is from Jimmy Lee, who is a first-time question asker. He says, "Hey guys, I just discovered your podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I've really enjoyed it." We're glad to hear yeah. that. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, and he says, "I lived in Cordoba when I was younger, and I am a Belgrano supporter." I wanted to get your thoughts on your favourite and least favourite Argentine commentators and pundits. What are your favourite and least favourite sports talk shows? Um, okay. I, I, it might have been fairer of me uh, to, to give both of the others uh, a heads up on this question beforehand, but I didn't do it because I'm evil. Um, I don't like any of the sports talk shows. Actually, to the point where in the last few weeks, now that I'm not earning an awful lot of money uh, from writing about football anymore... I pretty much don't watch them. I used to have a studio of football on, on day say for most of the afternoon, but I've preferred to watch live tennis or uh, the news or just not have the TV on at all now when I'm studying on other stuff. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it's such a difficult question because the just vast majority of them are so rubbish. Just so it's difficult to pick out a favourite. There is a guy called... Yeah, I got fed up with it. Marcelo Palacios shouting mm. all the time. And yeah. It's as bad as Hand of Pod. Yes. Well, if we're talking about commentators, even though he's not on all the time, it's very hard to beat Victor Hugo Morales, right? He's mm. up there with the best commentators of of any nationality, and I think he does still do commentary. They've got okay. he's got like a radio. No, he's got like a radio streaming site. Oh, sorry, yeah, not for TV, but yeah, not for yeah, TV, right, but yeah. they do something together. Yeah, uh, um, Victor. The worst has got to be Veluta. Yes. Penal, penal, palo, gol, Always. The header, he's, he called the header that it was a bicycle kick. But uh, <laughs> about the programs or the deep shows, I will choose Paso a Paso, not because mm. of the commentators or the Paso hosts, a Paso is good, yeah. Because of the footage, the additional footage they show of the play, of the supporters and all, all of the things that it's apart from the from the matches. So which pa- is, Paso a Paso is a TSE show yes. that they show on. Is it still late on Sunday night? Sunday is at 11 p.m. Then they repeat it in yeah, the, uh, on the Monday. Um, 11 p.m. Argentine time. So it's, it's kind of highlights, but from different angles than mm-hmm. normal. So it's not sort of match of the day style. Um, and as Andres says, yeah, they have a bunch of sort of pre-match and post-match stuff, comments yeah. from the fans, and little fun interviews. And, yeah. stuff. and some, some of it, I think, is a bit like when it gets to the point where they're giving one of the players presents and stuff. It yes. gets a bit like, oh, come on, grow up. But, Football yeah. Permitido was good. Was Back in, uh, was very good. Yeah, well, well, at least the opening credits. Mm. The opening credits lasted about ten minutes. They were brilliant, and then the rest was all right. Ramona is not bad if you're talking football yeah. chat show. But it's not fairly uh, irreverent. They not, don't don't they don't talk about the. They have news, but more has to do with more with humor and. Yeah, that's why I like it basically because it's not all crap. The correspondence is sending from from their sources within the clubs, yeah. and it's actually fairly enjoyable. Jimmy does clarify. I currently live in the US, so if you have suggestions of shows I, I should be watching, let me know. Obviously, we don't know which ones are shown in the US, but I'm assuming if you've got Day Say International, that you'll be able mm. to watch some of those. And he adds, I speak Spanish, so you can suggest Spanish shows. If you want an English language highlights or football talk show on the television that's in English, um, then if you're a television producer, uh, you know, get in touch and we could start doing Hand of VOD if you've got some money, Hand of Video on Demand. Um, mm, very good. Yeah, you see very what I did there? Um, we'd be more than happy to, to take some payment for doing this. Uh, so please get in touch. 
Peter Paleologos, Paleologos um, also has a question via email. He is from Melbourne, Australia, and he says, We hear about the famous Huracan teams of the 1920s and Ferrocarril Oeste of the 1980s. Was this due to the style of their football, or is it that they won titles? Um, well, actually, bizarrely, one of those answers is true of one of those teams, and the other answer is true of the other team, right? Federal, we know about because they won the two titles in, in back-to-back... Well, no, sorry, 82 and 84, wasn't it, Federal? Metropolitano yeah, 82 and, Metro- and Nacional 84, or the other way around. Um, and, yeah, the style of their football, from what we hear, was fairly stodgy and, and dull. Um, Marseco, precisely Marseco because of their style rather than because they, want, uh, they didn't win the title. Alberto Marseco was one of the mm. most remarkable players there. Garre also. Yeah. And also, of course, yeah. Huracan in the 70s, uh, too, which are the, who are the really sort of famous ones now. Who the won the title, yeah. yeah with Brindisi, with uh, Hausemann. Yeah. Mm. He also says Hausemann, who, played, not as a coach. who played an entire match drunk. He played more than an entire match, John Carrick. But yeah, scored the scored the goal in yeah. rank and, and the, the the crowd saying I don't remember in the match exactly, but uh, saying shouting uh, drink, 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 something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, chube, 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 yeah. no pare de chupar. Yes. <laughs> Peter adds, are one of these clubs the sixth big team in Argentina, or is it Vélez Sarsfield or Estudiantes de la Plata now? That's a good question, and it's one that we've. We, we mentioned a very long time ago, back when Sebo was on the podcast. I think putting Ferro there would be a bit of a stretch. Back, back, when, back when Hand of Pod was, had only just broken into double figures in terms of the number of episodes we'd done, uh, I remember having this conversation with, with the two Downs, when Australian Down was still here, and with Seba. Um, the, the traditional um, sixth grande from when the five grandes first became a thing Huracan, in the 30s right? were Huracan. Um, on sort of uh, very old advertisements and whatnot, there would be six teams whose supporters were um, were depicted, and Oracan were the one outside what we now think of as the Big Five. Uh, Vélez were also sort of competitors for them, and nowadays you, you'll obviously get teams from the interior, um, from the, the country outside Greater Buenos Aires, being represented more than Estudiantes or Gimnasia en La Plata. Uh, it's Newell's. Central, perhaps to a slightly lesser extent, because they've been a bit less successful trophy-wise. Central um, more titles, yeah, they have, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Newells are the, I think, seem to be the ones who Newells have this thing in on the advertisement hoardings when they have like their managers being interviewed and stuff after the games, where it says mm. El Mas Grande del Interior, the, the biggest club in the interior. But how if Central yeah, have more titles and they've got no, the uh, got the edge in the derby? Totally, I, I guess they have more fans, marketing, maybe, and more more socios. No, they got a bit more marketing. They had, you know, with um, with Maradona playing there, with True, Messi yeah. playing there, with Bielsa, um, uh, these kind of guys. They got. I think it's just some marketing thing, really. Indeed. If if, if and then you go to guy. you go to Cordoba and you can have a similar conversation about Instituto and Tachiris yeah, yeah. And, and Ironically, although they're, they're currently more established in the Primera to a lesser extent, Belgrano. Um, if you go to Tucumán and talk to a San Martín fan, they'll still maintain they're the biggest club in Tucumán. Yeah. Even though they're in the second division, Atletico had just played the Libertadores. Oh, I'm sure San Martín fans would, would do yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. My, my, my point is... But there are a lot of San Martín fans. My point is that saying. even relative neutrals in Córdoba would agree that Belgrano... Neutrals. And, and I've not really neutrals. Where do you find these neutrals? No, I was like, most, <laughs> most people who I've spoken to from Cordoba agree that Belgrano, if anything, are the third biggest club in Cordoba in terms of fan numbers, at least. 
Uh, but that's, that's yeah, Gordon is a little bit different because it's like split between three, right? Yeah. When you get it split between three, the fans also, tend to be a little bit more magnanimous. But in La Plata, big, it's also a big city. It's, yeah. it's not. Well, it's talking about it's, it's significantly smaller in La Plata. Yeah. Uh, a million people. As well. it's got quite a few. Indeed. But yeah, when when I'm you got the big, really. yeah yeah oh. when you I think when you got the dichotomy, you know, between two clubs rather than three, everything gets a little bit more hairy, right? Yeah, if true. you're talking about La Plata or Rosario or Tucumán or Santa Fe, of course. Indeed. No one gives an inch. We have been recording for longer than we were expecting to record, and Andres has got uh, his mother's birthday party. Happy well, birthday to Andres' uh, mother. Happy Thank birthday you. to Andres' Thank you, mother. And um, yeah, so we better get off now. Um, thank you very much to listening for listening for another week. Um, and we will be back at some point next week when we'll be much wiser about how the title race is going to unfold because River will have played their game in hand we will be much wiser about the Sudamericana because we've got games coming up for Huracan tomorrow Independiente tomorrow Racing on Thursday and so on and Fuerza Amarilla and Fuerza Amarilla whose name by the way uh, means of course Yellow Force got the Yellow Force but I, I googled them out of curiosity when I noticed them on a fixture list a couple of weeks ago their nickname is La Banana Mecanica <laughs> or the Clockwork Banana the Clockwork Banana um, excellent which, which was one Johan of my favourite things must be rolling in his grave and I was very glad that I managed to get that in just before Dan took a sip of Fernet because it means I've not got Fernet sprayed all over my living room now um, anyway for now it is thank you very much for listening Go and support Ian Plenderly's book again on unbound.com slash books slash the hyphen quiet hyphen fan. Um, and come again next week. Thank you very much. Good night from Andres. Thank you. Good night. From English Dan. Thank you and good night. And from me, thank you and good night. Mm-hmm.